In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... Diet Starts Tomorrow with host Sammy Sage I'm having a relationship with my pizza. and Aileen Drexler. I'm going to make you girls a hump day treat. In a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram. Just doing my workout. Tuesday's arms and back. But feels anything but in real life. Is butter a carb? Yes. This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. From people who understand the struggle. I'm on the third day of my cleanse diet. Hello and welcome back to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Sammy. And I'm Aileen. And we have a very exciting guest today. Some of you may know her because I had her on afternoon tea and a lot of you had a great response to our episode. Today's guest is Holly Whitaker, author of the book Quit Like a Woman and founder of Tempest, an organization that takes a new approach to helping individuals quit drinking and live an alcohol-free life. Welcome back, Holly. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you back. People really loved our last episode together when you came on on afternoon tea. So this should definitely be an interesting continuation because we definitely talk a bit about drinking on here, usually as it ties to like weight loss and dieting. Um, But also as you know, how people's relationship with it is. So can you share maybe um, a bit about your journey with alcohol? Just from the day one. Sure. Okay. So day one, um, I was probably 13 when I drank for the first time. Um, and I drank throughout high school. Um, I think that one of the things I talk about in the book is that, um, it was never really a comfortable relationship. Um, I think there were benefits that were provided me by it, meaning, uh, in terms of fitting in or getting past my inhibitions or my awkwardness or, figuring out how to have, um, connections, um, with men. But I, I would say, you know, for, I was 33 when I quit drinking. And so it means, you know, 20 years in there. Um, and really probably like 15, 17 years where I was drinking regularly and my relationship with it, um, was complicated. I think like all of our relationships, not all, but I think a lot of us have a really complicated relationship with alcohol because it's a depressant feels an anxiety. It's tied to all these different things. And we're really conditioned to, to put up with a lot. And so for me, I had, you know, my relationship would sometimes go off the rails with it. I'd reel it back in, go off the rails. And really in, um, when I was about 30, I, um, I was living in San Francisco. I had a really stressful job. I broke up with somebody, um, and it was pretty devastating. And, I tipped from drinking a lot, right? From from living in San Francisco, I'd go to sometimes like three events on a night, you know, and drink at each of them. Um, and uh, I drank, you know, multiple days throughout the week and I had hangovers, but it was never anything that I would, you know, I would say would really qualify as like in-spectrum alcohol use disorder. But when I was in my early 30s, I hit the spot and my relationship with it really like flipped, jumped the shark and... um I ended up 
um, you know, drinking one or two bottles a night. Um, and it just from there, it's a real slippery slope. And um, I think that for me, it really came to a head um, in 2012, 2013. And forgive me, I do not know how old I was then, but 32, 33. And I um, felt like I started to really hit that wall of recognition that something was terribly wrong. Um, and I think one of the things that I really like to expand upon and dive into is is what a what a um, mind scrabble that is to try and to just because there's things that you see in your life that can justify that it's just normal and that you're doing what everyone else is doing and everyone else is struggling with it in the same way you are. We all have hangovers. We all do things that we regret. We all drink too much. We don't mean to. We all drink more than we don't mean to. And also like pulling apart really um, what is a problem. And I was constantly looking toward this definition of whether or not I qualified as an alcoholic. Um, and I think one of the things I really try and stress that relieved me from my relationship with alcohol was um, just asking if it felt good. And it didn't. It felt horrible. Um, and so the long, the long story short was I, I, I read a book in late 2012 um, that really reframed um, the idea of alcohol as something that you don't have to do. And I got this, I got the understanding that I had been working under the impression that I was supposed to make alcohol work. Um, and that really started to unwind it for me. And from there, I started to observe, I started to see how it showed up in my life. I did not like it um, and entered into a period of recovery. And I say all this, this is a, a pretty um, like sterile reconstruction of all that. It was really graphically bad. I had, um, I, I had severe alcohol use disorder. Um, I was sick um, and it was making me extremely sick. And I went through a pretty severe recovery um, to quit drinking. But I want to get to the meat of it, which was, it was never, it was a long path. To getting to that conclusion and a long path from that conclusion. Yeah, and I know, I know we've talked about the book, and it just I do want to say just to the audience, like the way that Holly goes into it in the book is really um, graphic and detailed and honest um, in a way that I think a lot of people probably don't speak about their, you know, the 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 details and the realities of their issues. But um, so something you mentioned was um questioning whether or not you were quote unquote an alcoholic. Um, could you talk a little bit about what it means to you to be sober, but how you don't really embrace or don't embrace the title or the identity of an alcoholic? Yeah. And so there's a reason for that. So with alcohol, right, there is a specific disease that we've categorized. We, we basically are under the impression and we work under the impression that there's a certain fraction of the population that's inherently alcoholic um, and that we won't know if they're alcoholic until they consume the drug. Um, and then from there, it is a set of self-diagnosed um, uh, uh, indicators that qualify of whether or not you have this condition. And so when we do that, and there's a lot of reasons for this, but when we do that, we're specifically operating under the impression that alcohol is fine, except for alcoholics. Instead of looking at it like we do every single other psychoactive drug, um, every single other addictive substance, uh, which is that the substance itself is inherently addictive, toxic, um, and that we should all be moving 
uh, through our relationship with it, eyes wide open. But instead, we've created this category of sick people that we find out after the fact. And we then let big alcohol off the hook. Uh, we then um, really are lost in this confusion of, uh, am I this like very, very um, like um, specific, severe example um, versus being able to look at our relationship with it? Um, and so the term alcoholic is something that says there's just something wrong with people that can't digest ethanol, right? The same alcohol is made from the same substance that we use to fuel cars with. And the same thing we've been sanitizing our hands to kill a virus with. Um, and so it's like, it's pulling it back to understand that when you ingest the substance, um, it's going to make you sick if you do it, um, at increasing levels. And it has the probability of, of, of addicting you based on other factors that, that play into it. And so it just levels sets it against the rest of what we do. Um, it's far more about informed consent. So I don't know if that answers your question specifically, but it does, I think, drill into this idea of, of this like alcoholic being out there versus us all having a relationship with alcohol that we go into with eyes wide open. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you about um, something you also said about you just kind of coming to the realization that you don't like your relationship with alcohol? What does that look like or feel like? And is it possible to like your relationship with alcohol? And what would that look like? Well, I think it's interesting because if you pull it apart, like if you look at like Annie Grace's work or Alan Carr's work, they really say that we've all been tricked into this belief that like of the, what we call benefits of, of alcohol. And I'm not going to go into that. Their work is extremely important. And I think interesting for everybody to, to really consider. I think you can look at it like anything, right? Um, like I, um, I think we, like one of the first things that I always try and level set with this is like, can we, what, would you ask me that if we're, if we're talking about cocaine, right? Would you ask me that if we're talking about cigarettes? Like, so let's take it with cigarettes. Is it possible to like your relationship with cigarettes? Sure. Is it doing damage to you? Probably. Um, and so I think we can, like, there were things I liked about alcohol, right? Um, I absolutely loved getting a good buzz on. I loved being stupid drunk. Um, I loved the the way that you could just immediately hurtle through like awkwardness on a first date, you know, and get right to the meat of it. Like there are things that alcohol does um, that we find benefit of. But if you start to like, for me, it was um, those benefits are so, so overshadowed by all of the negative that that absolutely comes along with this. Um, and so it is a drug. It, it is a depressant. It is something that will increase your depression if you have it. It is something that will fuel your anxiety if you're an anxious person or if you have social anxiety or if you have any form of anxiety. Um, it's something that causes cancer. It's something that causes brain damage. It's something that does a lot of different things to us. And so I think um, that there, you can look at it. I, I can say like, I absolutely liked you know, pieces of it. I'm sure there are people that you know, drink an extreme moderate amount of it that like it. But it also is um, something that I think has to be weighed against the, the consequences that really no one is, is safeguarded against. Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. 
Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Could you talk a little bit about what it means to quit like a woman, which is sort of like the thesis of your book, as compared to sort of like how we know most people do tend to quit alcohol, um, which is like go cold turkey, go to AA, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so everything that was invented up through this, save for a few things like women for sobriety, um, was based on a male archetype. And in, in my book, I really go into this, like all religions, like all spiritual traditions that we know of were, were basically created around, um, created for men um, and created for how men moved in the world. And one of the pieces of work that I draw from and talking about specifically what it means to quit like a woman is Carly Flinders work, um, who really was able to drill down into, she was a, she was a Buddhist nun. Um, and, um, she was, uh, she lived on, um, I don't want to say compound. Uh, what am I trying to say? She lived on like on a, why can't I think of the name of it? It's not a compound. A the things that like commune. Commune. She was in a commune. Yeah. She was in a commune under like Ignaz Ethorin. Um, and she was also a feminist scholar and uh, a professor, I think, at Berkeley. And so she really had to pull apart the things that she was taught in her training um as a Buddhist, um, and how why they felt so at odds with with her own feminism. And she drills down into the tenets of Buddhism, but of all spiritual traditions that we know of that exist in the world today that are um, are based on a belief of of male privilege and really um, are meant to, you are meant to find liberation essentially by confronting things that are typically personified in male privilege. And that means um, uh, not speaking. <laughs> um, that means like uh, like silence, chosen silence and introspection. Um, that means abiding by the rules instead of creating the rules. Um, that means um, closing yourself off from the world, which assumes that you've been able to move around the world freely without fear. And so she she really like says, and feminism says, we're supposed to um, like breaking the rules or break, like feminism basically encourages us to move freely about in, uh, in the world, um, to take our power back, to speak, um, to like trust ourselves, to do all of these things. So when you look specifically with the traditional uh, recovery modalities that we now know of, and that, you know, by the way, this is not a specific thing about AA, it's just about the foundations of how we think of recovery 
it's created based on uh, a evangelical Christian um, framework. It was made specifically for white cis hetero males um, in the 30s, and it was created as a way to really counter what was making them sick, which was their male privilege. And so a lot of the fundamental beliefs and how we recover are um, just shutting up and, and listening and not trusting ourselves um, of like taming our wild out of control ego, egos, um, humili- uh, humiliating ourselves, like humbling ourselves, um, taking direction and uh, going out and apologizing to everybody. And so really the, the fundamental you know, point of it is not um, you know, to reject AA. It is to be very aware of what we've traditionally been sold as uh, a, a, like the, almost like the antithesis of what women need when they're recovering, which is to claim their voice, claim their power, move freely, uh, question the rules, listen to themselves, and so on and so forth. And so that really is what the fundamental piece of this, which is like looking at a, really like looking at a feminine archetype, understanding what that, what, what any like uh, marginalized person, anybody that's not white, male, cis, hetero, might be encountering, um, and then building something that makes sense from there, not breaking down something they don't have to begin with. In the, in the book, do you share like then what what you should do? Because we also we we have a friend. She told me it's okay to shout her out. That read your book, and um, she you know she was before that she was questioning her relationship with alcohol, and then your book made her sort of set her like t- sort of tipped her over to really yeah. like explore what being sober is like without again like you said considering herself an alcoholic just kind of exploring in social situations and all that so she wanted a shout out but also in the book do you share tips for audience who haven't read it read it um about what it what it is like to explore a sober lifestyle yeah and it's not specific it's not a prescriptive book right like it's not a like workbook that's going to give you like the full plan um, but I do go into the second half of the book is mostly going into really helping to create frameworks. And the, the, the thing that you said is how should. So that's kind of part of it as well, which is there is no should, right? Part of what makes us sick to begin with is this belief in we should be all these things. And a lot of the book really centers on this idea that our process to getting to truth, to heal, um, is it starts with really creating something that is specific to ourselves that develops agency that helps us to develop agency that helps us to really craft um what works for us um and it draws on so my work draws on um ken wilbur's framework which just basically is a holistic framework and so there are there are there are formulae prescriptive things that are given in the book but the basic idea of this is to almost work at it from the opposite angle which is starting to develop trust with self crafting a plan that feels like it's something that's expansive that we can grow into versus restrictive um and more you know lists of things to do or not do could you talk a little bit about how you could like start to approach creating an expansive life rather than a restrictive one? Like, how do you handle, like, how do you, how could someone like now start to approach social situations? Like what sort of yeah. like patterns in their actual day to day should they examine? 
Well, I think it all starts with beliefs and that's where it really comes down to, right? So a lot of the stuff, a lot of people, like for us humans, we want the plan, we want the structure, we want the like checklist. Um, and I think a lot of it starts with the recognition that once you start to even question or to look at something and shift your thinking around something, you're opening this huge door. And we can't even understand in that moment how big of a shift that is. But that in of itself, the questioning, the observing, the researching, and the willingness to have our beliefs changed or to change our own beliefs or to evolve um, is in of itself part of the process. And we don't reward ourselves enough or appreciate enough how phenomenal that is. And from there, it is, it starts with working with your core beliefs. So one of the things that I think is really important to understand is whether it's alcohol or it's, if it's a thing that has you nailed, right? Like if it's a thing you've got, a, if it's a thing you have a thing with, right? No matter what it is, right? And I'm talking, it could be a relationship. Um, it could be, um, uh, it could be drinking. It could be cigarettes. It could be your job, whatever it is. When we have a thing that has us nailed, right? That we're really hooked into. When we start to go into that place that we typically run from and we start to examine it, what happens is that one shift, especially if it's a place we're really nailed, will start to basically pull different threads throughout our life because it's all, it's one big web, right? It's all woven together. So in alcohol specifically, let's just say you are exploring it, you're thinking about it like your friend, right? Like, you're changing, you're like open to changing your belief system around it. And maybe you try not drinking on the weekends or something, or you just even like, I don't know, what doesn't matter. You start to pull that thread. And what happens is because it's so connected to the rest of your life, what you find is it starts to reveal things in your friendships. And so you learn new ways to explore your friendships, or maybe your friendships change completely. Um, when you're out and just doing your normal thing of being at a happy hour and you have a drink, and someone offers you a drink, you're in that position for me. What was so interesting just about that one thing in particular was I was so used to pacifying other people and making, you know, and, and, and putting other people's comfort first and explain over explaining myself and giving them my whole story when I was like, no, I'm not drinking. And then people would react to that. It had, it caused me that alone caused me to start establishing boundaries with what information I share, what questions I answer, whose comfort I'm putting first. Um, how to, you know, basically move through situations that we often just mechanically work through. It, it's kind of like, just, it throws like a, a you know, like, a, like it, it throws a wrench in everything. And all of a sudden, all of those things that are connected, you start moving through differently. So just one last question before we move on to Dear DSC, we're going to answer a listener question. Could you describe the, the, uh, like emotional feeling when some of when something has you nailed, like how can someone identify that they have this relationship that they need to work on? Because you know it. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it other than that. It's just, you know, it. it's your thing, right? And we don't have just one thing. We typically have a number of things. And there's usually one that's screaming the loudest. But it's like, it's the thing that you can't shake. It's the thing that feels like it's living in your head or like showing up everywhere. Um, and it's a matter of just trusting that if something feels that way, if there's a rub, it's just even a rub, that it's worth exploring. Okay. That sounds like a good, a does good that make thing sense? to I mean, does that make I sense? Think, I think if someone has it, they'll know it by that, by yes. what you said. 
you don't yeah, I think people, I like think. I always say people that don't have drinking problems are not on the internet researching about drinking problems right <laughs> like my mom right. has never googled am I drinking too much right? yeah like for yeah. us, for a lot of us it's just like there is a thing there and you're like huh you know right so, and sometimes yeah. it is a relationship like there's definitely like I've observed you know you know people who have had that type of relationship like a codependent relationship or yeah that is i mean it's like something that you can't imagine like a life beyond it yeah right yes is a good yeah. i think yeah a like you can't really in believe that you could ever be free of this thing whatever it that's is. right or it's just part that's of right. your personality and you just always assumed it was and then like good question but what if it wasn't and then that yeah. sticks with you this episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. All right. Should we do our Dear DST now? It's Yeah. It is. It's time? It is time. It is time. I can read it, Sammy. Okay. Dear Sammy and Aileen and Holly, quarantine has obviously been such a crazy time and I don't even know what I've been doing for the past year plus. But one thing I know is I've been drinking a shit ton and alcohol has become the center of my life in a way it's never been before. Memorial Day just happened and summer has just begun and I realize my nightly habits have become all about drinking or even immediately after I'm done with my main work responsibilities, I'll start drinking. Not only is alcohol making me sleep worse and giving me headaches in the morning, it is also causing me to drunk eat nightly, which has been causing me some stress as the summer and bikini season are approaching. Two years ago, I didn't have this problem and I was not having a drink every night, but now after the pandemic, I'm realizing I'm a little scared to take on the summer in my post-quarantine drunk body. I've been asking myself these questions. Am I drinking more because I'm self-conscious about the weight I've gained? Will I continue drinking this much into summer and start socializing more and act in a way that I'll regret? Please let me know what you think. Love, drunk betch. What? So what do we think? Yeah. Well, first, I do want to say that I really relate to her like first paragraph because it's what I talked about last week with weed. And Holly, we've also spoken about this. Like, that's mm -hmm. how I feel that my relationship with weed has become. Um, 
it's uh, it's again it's a different substance so different navigations but um same idea i think that again if she's asking herself um like if it's too much like it probably is a little too much that's like mm-hmm. kind of the answer um and whether it's because she's self-conscious about her weight or because it's something else my guess is that it probably ties in to to the same thing like maybe why she started drinking in the first place was because she was self-conscious about her weight not just like her pandemic weight um or like other feelings of like lack of self-acceptance maybe holly how are you are you seeing that like people are drinking a little more or a lot more or changing their habits since quarantine and do you think that um sort of facing that the way that um drunk betch has emailed us is the same or similar when facing like a long, a longer span of like drinking a lot? I think the quarantine really, uh, yeah, people drink a lot more in quarantine. I mean, there's just that, right? For a number of different reasons. Um, People also quit drinking in quarantine because it moved us into this loss of time and routine and we were encouraged like there were so many reasons why we all drank more but for some people they went with it and for some people it was where they encountered um a trajectory they did not want to be on so you see stats of like how much addiction has gone up and drinking has gone up but you also see stats of people that are who might not have otherwise changed their drinking changed their drinking um in quarantine so yeah, that's absolutely happening. And I think what's so interesting about what she's writing, I mean, like, and 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 also what, what you just said, Sammy, like, there is, um, it's all kind of connected. It just is. Like, we, like, our stuff is layered on itself. And so I think it is extremely telling that, like, where, where this comes out, the other end is about her body, about how uh, her body's going to look coming out of quarantine. Um, and about how she drinks to deal with that. But I think the thing that I would pull it back to is like starting, I think a lot of times we're overwhelmed with the number of things that we have to fix because we're told we have to fix everything. And I think that what drinking makes, like the, the thing that I have always loved about encountering a relationship with alcohol when it starts to speak to us like that is that you really only have to go there. You do not have to fix the, the body issues. You don't have to fix the eating disorder. You don't have to fix all of the millions of things that you feel that you have to, like you have to, fix about yourself, if you start to explore and pull the thread of what your relationship is with drinking, it's going to unwind all of those other things because the awareness that you get around your relationship with that is what starts to help you, give you the ground to explore your relationship with other stuff. Right. What do you, about her question about, will I continue drinking this much into the summer and start socializing more and act in a way that I'll regret? I do think it's funny that she's asking us that yeah. Um, because like we, we can't see the future it really. And the future hasn't happened yet. Like you are the one who designs that who answers right. that question. And, and I know that that probably is a scary answer to get. Cause you're like, Oh fuck, I can't blame it on anything. Like, you know, I can't blame it on mercury and retrograde. I can't blame it on right. like something else. Like, she is looking at it. It almost seems like she already knows the answer. Yeah. And and she's looking at us to be like, yeah, if you keep doing this, you will act in a way you regret so that she has like a reason to stop because we tell right. we told what her. Do you like, think, what do you think is step one for her to unpack her questions? Like her, 
what like what should she do to like ref- not well she should listen to us tell her <laughs> but what should be step one to like unpack this these layered on feelings and questions I think like the simplest thing is and it goes back to what I said earlier it's we're so smart and we have so much information at our fingertips and when you start to pull the thread and explore and research I always tell everybody like first of all you've already started right like give yourself the credit for actually having written the letter or like had the awareness around it at all. Cause so many people do not. And then from there, it starts with just researching it. I'm like, if you make the intention to explore your relationship with alcohol, without putting any qualifiers on it, I'm just going to pull this thread. It will lead you to the answers that you need. And so I always say, start with research or start with support or something, just reach out and do one thing that's maybe a little bit scary that is like, if whether it's reading a book or reading a blog or listening to a podcast or going to some kind of, and it doesn't have to be an AA meeting. There's lots of different organizations that allow for people to come together to talk about their drinking. Just do one thing. And then that one thing compounds and, and folds into the next. Definitely. I just want to say that I really relate a lot to like, actually the second half of the question, Sammy, which is like back maybe like post-college, I was just drinking, and in college, obviously, but post-college, I was drinking so much to the point like where it was okay to black out. And then I was like, there's something wrong here. But I, I look, like you said, like be a little bit more introspective about like your individual, like what, what, what was I feeling? And it wasn't that I liked alcohol that much, that I was drinking it so much. So why was I doing that? And it was because I was feeling very self-conscious and meeting guys or like just being in that social post-college social scene. And then I had to like look back and like, why am I self-conscious? Is it body stuff? So then I started a lot of dieting. And now it takes, there's lots of stages. And now I'm looking back and like dieting is, wasn't the right thing. Maybe there's, there's more under that. Maybe I don't really like the relationship I have with my body, dieting or not, sober or not, whatever it is. So it's just, it's, it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say like, this is like a short-term process to drunk betch. It takes right. a while, and it, that it, that that doesn't mean it's be- it doesn't mean it's wrong. Like it just it just that's the way that life is. Learning about yourself just takes a long time. So I just yeah, forever, right? That's the whole like point of life, forever journey. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. what you said about how like it's also layered on top of itself like ever since reading your book and like discovering that and and like actually having the opportunity to observe myself sort of like in action I feel like I've noticed so many things just about myself the way sort of like socializing functions how easy how like how crucial alcohol really is to all these interactions that we just sort of like take for granted. And you sort of think like, and and sort of what you said before, like if there was like a cocaine bar at every event, like that would be so weird. So yeah. Unless I we mean, were trained to believe that cocaine bars were normal, right? Right. We've right. been trained to believe like cocaine is this one thing and alcohol is this other thing. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely been really interesting. The weird um, part for me right now, this I'm in a, in my own social drinking experiment, is that I'm pregnant, and I have been. For, so I looked back, and I haven't drank since December, and I'm like, this is insane. Like, 
and, and being in social situations, I'm like, it's so weird to talk to people just completely sober. <laughs> I have to come up with conversations. Yeah. It's a very bizarre. But also the part that I find even more interesting is this like, just accept, like, I don't worry about what people think when I say I'm not drinking. And I question like, if, okay. if I wasn't pregnant, how much more self-conscious I would be to say the exact same line, the way that I would say it, I'm not drinking, or I'll just have Pellegrino or whatever my fancy drink That's is. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, right. I just, it, I do question that. And I, I'm assuming it, just society and like social situations are such like a huge pressure on people. Like if that was removed, I feel yeah, like it right. would be, it'd be so much easier. But let me point, can I add a story to that? So I'm, so I'm in Italy. One of my friends uh, is off, off drinking and has been since January. And we were at a party the other night with a bunch. Uh, it was like the first party because Italy just came out of their, like they just started getting to hang out with each other a couple weeks ago. We were at a party and it was a bunch of American expats and um, she was not drinking. And I have no weirdness around it. Like I went through a period of time where when I was telling people I didn't drink and I was unsure about like the whole thing and I wasn't really resolved in it where it happened all the time. It was like, like flies to shit. People coming to me, do you want to drink? Why are you not drinking this? Like, like shoving like yeah. from all angles. And I don't experience that anymore because I, my energy and my boundaries around it, it's just not a charge But I was at this party and none of them were used to her not drinking. And the whole party lost their shit. It was just like one after the other, after the other. And like this one person saying, oh, you will drink it. Like literally saying, you're going to drink again. Don't you worry, you're going to drink again. And it was just like, I was shocked by it because I do believe, by the way, like, I think that this is, this is not a negative. I think that this was one of like my sources of power was having to be confronted with that, like over, like that discomfort of being pressured to drink and to explain myself and finally having it hit me enough times to where I changed and to where now, and that extends to other areas of my life where I created these different set of boundaries where it's just not anything to me anymore. And so I actually think that that is such a positive because it's a really good training ground. Yeah, I think it definitely like is the hardest thing to quit because of back to what you said earlier, like it's so normal. And it's like, it's like saying you're going to quit food almost like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, Why? it's and, and <laughs> other things. Like, right, right. And like other things just don't invite that sort of question. No. at all or like that reaction no. also because most things don't sort of ring a little bell in the person who you're conversing with head that it's like oh my god you're quitting like i drink more than you right. or the same as you or or i've actually been thinking maybe i drink too much and now i have to like ding ding answer that like yeah. well so, because it's all just yeah. projection we're all mirrors and they're just seeing like the the interactions where people are really really like freaked out by it it's because they're freaked out by it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, thank you so much, Holly. How can people quit like a woman or if they're interested, how can they um, read your book <laughs> and also maybe share about Tempest too, maybe if sure. people are interested? Sure. So my book can be found um, on bookstore.org. It can be found at your local independent booksellers. It can be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all places where books are sold, quit like a woman. Um, you can also find my work and writing at Holly Whitaker dot com yeah that's right um and then also tempest 
uh, is a modern digital approach to recovery. Um, and it is an online program that provides coaching, support, community, materials, practices, lectures, and all sorts of different things for people that are interested in changing their relationship with alcohol. And Tempest can be found at uh, jointempest.com. That sounds great. Um, everyone go check that out if you're interested. And that is it for today's episode of Diet Starts Tomorrow. Um, guys, please go rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend about this show. We really, really would appreciate it. Follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow. Follow me at Aileen. Follow Sammy at Sammy. And we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong and Sean Kilby. Social media by Sydney Rafe. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.